photography has evolved from being a way of documenting the world to a way of communicating. I would say there's always been too many photographs in the world, but there's never too many good ones. The way you photograph something and the way you light something should be as beautiful as you can make it. Business, creative, kit and careers. Find out about the world's leading photographers and filmmakers in Shutter Stories. Welcome to Shutter Stories. In this week's episode, we'll be interviewing editorial photographer Paolo Vizzoni. A Canon ambassador, Paolo's work takes him all around the world, but one place keeps drawing him back. Despite it being one of the world's most challenging environments, the Arctic holds a deep fascination for him and is the subject of an ongoing personal project. Here he talks to us down the line from his home in Spain about that project and his current work with National Geographic. Hi, Paolo. Hi, Emma. How are you? I'm very good. How are you? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm in Barcelona and we have an um, extremely strict lockdown. Mm, so just yes. imagine that my daughter, she was able to get out from the house for the first time in six weeks. Wow, six weeks of complete confinement. Uh, totally, totally. But and now we just taking some restrictions off so we were today out every day we, we, we you are allowed to stay one hour with your children outside every day so we we take every second of it every single second so typically you travel a lot for your work so how's that been stuck in barcelona it's um it's strange it's strange but I've understood immediately that this situation is uh, something who could uh, last for some time. So I just adapted immediately. I wasn't expecting a solution in one day. I wasn't. And I, I, I had been stuck in other places before. Yeah. So I'm not surprised. But it's a nice uh, place to be stuck because at least you're with your family. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That, that's, that's the key point. So have there been any positives for you other than being with your family for your work or it, how have you how have you adapted? I've adapted prioritizing. Prioritizing does mean you reflect a little bit more because now you have time to do it on how to better do some part of your work, some part who were maybe uh, you you didn't have the time to reflect enough. And, uh, and then you see what happens. So you are open to some new, also new ways of thinking. You have to escape with your mind. So you let your mind more free because it's less solicited by daily stuff. You have time. Yes, yes. But I don't feel I have enough time. Again, interesting, no? That is interesting. I, I've developed uh, like new ideas, new things. What are you doing with your day then? Are you are you photographing? Or are you just looking at developing I am, ideas? I'm I'm photographing in uh, in a super safe way. What does it mean? If I have to do something like going to the grocery, going to the pharmacy, or uh, going, for example, I was to veterinary for my cat. I do pictures. I have some requests from from some magazines or, for example, with National Geographic, we are doing a kind of chronicle, but it's it's a very interesting chronicle because uh, every every week there, there is a subject. So if I found something which is matching with this subject, I took pictures. 
we are together also with my agency collecting all the picture of the um, of the lockdown of the coronavirus period because it was li- it will be limited we don't realize this yes. in some months we will remember this as a super strange surreal mysterious painful but it will pass yeah. it's it's extremely important this and I, and I have this feeling feeling now this will be over soon or late but it will be over so the, a lot of the work that you're doing now is centered around that it's not so much other projects that you've had to set aside you're trying to be very no. present for example i i was kind of lucky i had finished uh almost completed a national geographic assignment just to the day before lockdown they, they have just published today the first part of this work in national geographic in the um, in the online part and this is just the first part of something bigger I mean, I'm de- developing with them. The, I can tell you the story which is already published because okay. the other part is super secret. Uh, they have just found the unique skeleton of a dinosaur who was supposed non-existent because the last one existing, the last skeleton of, of, of this dinosaur disappeared during the Second World War, a bombing of a museum. So we just have a picture of that wow. and, uh, um, and, uh, and some drawings. And now uh, they found uh, another one. Exactly, a real one. And we were on the excavation site, which I cannot even mention where it is. I can say it's in Morocco mm. and nothing more. And it was incredible. I mean, it was a, an excavation. We, we were there for um, two weeks in July. So did, you, July. did you get in there very early? Uh, it's an excavation which is ongoing in a secret location and uh, they just do by steps so I was assisting and documenting one particular step of this excavation and we and, and we found some bones and it was wow. it, it was incredible I mean you were there you see everybody you hear everybody screaming <laughs> and uh, and um, and they found a bone. That's amazing. And, oh, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. Do you, when you um, are photographing this kind of assignment, do you talk a lot, do you interview the paleontologists? I just observe, watch, and then, and then I start posing questions. Do you work very closely with the writers? Absolutely, yes. I was with the writer of the article, and we were together 24 hours a day. The same hotel, the same everything. We, which is a key, which is a key of this of, of this kind of stories. We witnessed the same things. We had we shared the same meal. We we were talking about the specifics of, of the excavation. So it was like something which which changes the game. It changes everything. He was extremely talented, and when when you have this match, it, it was a total pleasure. We had also a, a lot of fun together, which is one one uh, super interesting thing. I mean, it's a kind of perfect match. So you build the story together. Absolutely. And we were discussing also of the aspect, like, uh, do you think this aspect, it's, uh, it's extremely important for you or no? Uh, you will write more about this aspect or you prefer we go deeper on the other side. So you, you can adjust every day. It's incredible. So usually you will be traveling on assignments all yes. the time or personal projects. So where would you normally be now? 
if you weren't in lockdown? Uh, yes. Until 10 days ago, I would have been in the Arctic. Uh, now I would be, let me check the day. Now I would be probably in France working for two assignments. One for Mare magazine, uh, the, the, the German magazine who do story about the sea, and another for Nat Geo, which I'm still waiting for two um, locations where, where I have to go, and but I can access. So is this a continuation of your work in the Arctic that you would have done? I love the work you've done in the Arctic. Yes, the, the, the continuation of the work in the Arctic would be for a book, which I'm working on, which will be out next year. Is this now a personal project that started as a commissioned? Exactly. It started as a, as a commission and now it's a personal project, but now it became again a commission for a book. You, you see, it's a back and mm. forth. So tell me about how you're developing it, because I think is the work that originally was a laboratory uh, in the Arctic research in Svalbard? Absolutely, absolutely. And then I had some magazines who wanted to, for example, the magazine Mare, who wanted to develop that more. So they sent me again. How many times have you been to the Arctic now? Five or six. And, and now, and then you decided to go for, to develop the story as a personal project. What's the and personal then, story? The, the personal story, it's, it's about the, the, how the Arctic is changing, how the Arctic is changing fast, uh, and how on multiple layers we can, we, we can uh, learn something about uh, also our society from what is happening there. So starting from science, and then getting on human behavior, how humans are reshaped over there in all along the Arctic circle, I, I'm trying to tell a bigger story. I mean, I will work for that uh, minimum four or five years more. Wow, it's a long-term project. Yes, but, but I love the place. I would extend it for 100 years if it's possible. <laughs> I, I, I'm not so sure to be here in 100 years, almost, but not sure. <laughs> so tell me, in terms of like extremes, surely photographically it's very extreme because you have a lot of dark or a lot of light and then a mm -hmm. lot of snow. But you, you are used to that. Uh, for example, the, all the electronic devices, they love cold. They really love it. They don't have any problem with cold. Yes. But the processors, they were very well under zero. No, no problem. No, I mean, if it's uh, minus 25, it's another thing. Is this minus the EOSR, EOSR that you're using on this project as well? Also. also. As well as the 5D Mark IV? Yes. So I, I, I've used them all. I've used them all. I've, I've sent to some, some friend of Canon some videos of, of what I have done to this poor camera. <laughs> <laughs> For example, I was in the northern part of Russia at the border with Finland, and I was for like eight hours on a snowmobile in February in a frozen land, and I had the, the camera on, on my hanging on my side because I had to stop the, the snowmobile and shoot. So basically the camera was at minus 24 hours. And what happened to it? It was good. I did test, uh, stressed tests to, to these cameras. You can't believe it. Yeah. You can't imagine that stress test I did to these cameras. And you don't tend to have technical failures? At the moment, no. So in the Arctic, though, surely the risk is if you go from a very cold to a warm environment, 
Okay, this, this is another story. Yes, exactly. You have to be kind of careful of that. Uh, like mm, letting the camera climatize in an inter intermediate uh, environment, if possible. For example, in Norway, there are a lot of uh, rooms where you change your shoes right at the entrance, so the temperature is not freezing. Uh, it's a kind of half and half. Or you put like the camera in a kind of plastic bag, a sealed plastic bag, the one for uh, the refrigerator, when you are outside, before getting, and you just open it after three hours. Three hours. But, but I have to say, sometimes I forget everything, I forgot it. I just got in, and two minutes after, I, I was said, no, 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 no. And it was, nothing happened. Pretty good. <laughs> or lucky. <laughs> I, I don't want to know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I, I just don't want to know. So what do you like so much photographically about the Arctic? What does it offer you? Hmm. Purity. Purity in, in, all, in everything. A quality of light you don't have anywhere else in the world. And I'm talking not about... Uh, uh, I'm talking about quality, quality of color, transparency, uh, palette of colors, which are kind of unique because the unique position of a place make the light reflecting in another way. So create a different layer of colors. So it's extremely interesting, extremely. So the light is different because of the, the quality of the light, but you don't have a lot of color. You have. You do? A lot in the sky. In the more, more than you think, in the sea, mm -hmm. in the clouds. I will send you some pictures. You will be shocked. But for you, it's, the, it's not even the environment. It's really the subject matter that you're there for. It's, it's both. It's a whole experience. Like you breathe air you never breathed before. Then you see lights you never seen before. You are a kind of frontier before space. It's a kind of limit. It's a kind of limit of also of... Uh, of a kind of purity and, and beauty. Sometimes the only sound you hear is just yourself walking, nothing else. It's a privilege. Is it pushing you creatively, photographically? Um, yes, because you understand it step by step. So the more you get in, the more you understand, the more you want to, to push and, and discover. And in terms of, on a very practical level, you must have to rely quite a lot on the dynamic range, the capabilities in the cameras. I'm, I'm used to that. So I know, and especially now, we have a dynamic range, which is incredible. So, so you, it's easier to tell those stories. Absolutely. Especially now that, like, for example, VR can, can get in the dark as never a camera did before. can work in the dark and you use it as a tool. You, you just don't say, okay, now I can take pictures in the dark. No, now I search pictures in the dark where I couldn't before because otherwise you don't understand what a tool you are using. It can expand your possibilities if you search for it. Now I know in a situation of almost total darkness, I can search for things. Before I was not even searching because you knew the camera couldn't follow. Now, I'm searching for them. It's open doors then. Absolutely. Uh, do, you use, do you use video as well? At, at the moment, I, ju I just do basic videos. I'm just doing videos uh, which are functional. I'm not, at, at the moment, good at it. 
uh, but I fully understand the potential of that. Do you think it's something you will explore? Yes, but I would like to explore it in a cinema way, fully working with the capabilities, not just doing a basic video. I will really, really work on layers, light, sound, scenario, uh, everything. But the beauty is now that you have the capabilities in your camera, in your stills cameras. Absolutely. And that's fantastic. And that's an entire world to explore. How do you label yourself? Do you consider yourself an editorial photographer, documentary photographer, visual artist? We can say editorial, portraitist and uh, documentary. I can. I basically work on humans and in, in their environment. So sometimes I could be a reporter. Sometimes I could be a pure portraitist. I don't uh, really care too much about how to label myself. I just okay. like to do that because it seems like your work is so varied. It's portraits, long-term projects, yes. commercial, editorial, news. Do you have a preference? It depends on the subject, but now yes. If I can choose now, it's just uh, persons in their own environment. Just people. So it's really people? In their own environment. Not mm. people isolated in a, in a, in a studio. Mostly right. in relation with the other. If I can choose between two pictures, we can say a still life. It is like still life. I was trying to figure out what it was, how to describe your work. But it's really noticeable. You use... The way you, you, you compose is very clean. You play with light and colors and shapes. And yeah. I, I was struggling to find, I thought architectural in its construction, but still life is a much better description. <laughs> and so there is something cinematic. I grew up with, with movies, with uh, um, lightning in movies and then reading books. Uh, I try to not touch the frame. Uh, that means I go in a place, if there is something that I don't like uh, on the table, I don't take it out. I change the angle. Because it seems like they seem constructed because they're so clean. No, it depends because you don't see sometimes what's uh, five centimeters apart. Mm, uh, yeah. Sometimes there, are, there, are, there is a total mess of 25 people one meter apart and you, you just don't take them. Yeah. So you've just, so I you, you to see do it. The cleaning. Yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. You try to do the cleaning in the framing. Mm. So actually you are, you don't stage. No, but except for portraits. For some portraits, yes. staging means asking and directing, directing the subject. You must direct this person. You must absolutely always direct the person. That means you ask this person to take a certain position, you you ask this person to, to, to look at a, at a certain direction with a certain light you created or a light you have seen, directing a portrait, always. I, I do it always. Beauty in your work That is very doesn't important. apply on a street scene. No, no, of course, can't direct your street scene. But all of your work, like every single photograph I see of yours, I think I could describe as beautiful. Is okay. it conscious for you? Do you think beauty in a photograph? is a very important thing. Beauty is a, is a goal. I mean, beauty beauty can be on a shadow of a glass. Beauty can be everywhere. So probably you, you are uh, making me ask myself this. Uh, so I like it. 
Maybe, yes, probably. Your style of photography, I think, normally lends itself to medium format or large format even, and it feels very old school, I think, in the aesthetic as sort of photographic forebearers. And it makes me wonder um, why Canon and what Canon kit offers you that sort of led you to shoot on a DSLR versus mm. uh, medium format? Because, because the, um, also the thing of the format is it's a mindset. I've, I've shoot, for example, in the past with uh, negative four five four by five. So you are learning a method. Then you can apply to a DSLR and you shoot in the same way. I started with um, 5D because it was the first full frame a lot of years ago. Yes. So it was kind of mandatory. Like I needed to think full frame. And then I continued uh, and then I'm, I'm working now with, with the R. The EOSAR. Yes, yes. And it's fantastic because you can conceive the image like uh, you, you did it uh, with a 4x5 because you have the images on the screen in the back, which is enough big. And so you can focus on, 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 on the subject. And also sometimes with the R, I, I shoot uh, not looking inside. And then when I get in reportage mood, I, I take the camera out of the tripod. So in two seconds, you, you can have two settings. Yeah, It's extremely interesting and important. And what lenses? What do you have in your kit bag? I, I have everything. I have uh, the 50, the, the original 50 uh, R series, which is mind-blowing, just mind-blowing. <laughs> I've never seen a 50 like this. In what way? I mean, sharpness, it's unbelievable, uh, of course. But there is something, I can tell you, it has a soul. We can say something like this. Uh, it, it could for you be, be crazy what I'm telling you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it has something. It has something. And then another lens I just love is the 40 millimeters pancake, the 128 STM. I love it. And it's small. And it's a soft lens. It's very delicate. I, I love it for this. That's then nice. I use a lot the 100 macro, the EF, one to for eight. For portraits? Mm, not very no. much for portraits. I use the 50 mm. for For likes, uh, when I have to do some close-ups, I, I used a lot for National Geographic. For example. I use a lot, for example, with the adapter or with um, Mark IV, the 35 uh, EF, one 14, one, so one mostly it's, it's primes, is it? Yes. I also use the tilt shift, the 24. Oh, the tilt shift. Uh, it's mandatory. So for you, it's very important to get your composition right in the camera. Not only the composition, also the, um, how it's exposed the picture. Because if you take a little time more, and if you just expose well, then you will have everything. Do you still use artificial lights in a lot of your work? I use everything. So if the light is enough, if the light is satisfies me, I don't use nothing. Mm. If I don't see the, the light is good for that setting, for that um, situation, I just, and only in that, in, that, in that case, I start adding things or modifying the natural light. For example, I work a lot modifying the natural light. And where did you learn your skills with lighting? 
by curiosity. By curiosity. I'm, I'm, I'm basically applying cinema techniques. And I developed my techniques. I was reading books about cinema lightning when I was 15. And then I modified them. I, I always like to discover new ones. Mirrors. I use a lot of mirrors. I'll give you an example. You have to do a portrait in an apartment. The apartment is on the first floor. It's uh, a sunny day, but the light is not getting on that side of the building. So I ask if, if, I, if I have an assistant of a situation, my assistant, to get on the road, to bring a mirror, to put the light through the window. For so example. rather than a reflector, you get a whole mirror. <laughs> e exactly. So it's, uh, you see, you adapt. You, you invent things on the spot. And I have hundreds of these things. So you've been doing photography professionally for over 30 years now. Yes. Do you think it's a, it's an easier or tougher line of work now? It's both. Like now it's a very challenging period because we, 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 we are witnessing the production uh, of images which is growing every day. And it's probably, not, no, 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 not probably, for sure, the biggest production of images in the history of humankind. But this creates opportunities. You don't even know who is your public. And the potential of these are incredible. I, I just tell you a story of a picture 25 years ago. If you wanted to show a picture in New York from Torino, Italy, where, 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 I, where I was living and where I was born, what was the process? So to show an entire reportage in New York, let's say 30 pictures. You go in the dark room, you develop the negatives, then you start doing the printings, you let it uh, dry. Then you put it in a box with a letter. You send it to, I guess, the New York Times, uh, Newsweek, uh, Time. And you wait between three and five months for an answer. That means, and you have to telephone. So you have to get the telephone number also. Mm. And then you telephone. Did you receive my pack? And they said, yes, we will tell you something. We will send you back the pictures together with the publication. And it took like minimum two months to six months for a single report. So now, now you understand why I'm enjoying today so much. So yes. much. I was the first in Torino with Alessandro who were using digital scanned files of picture. So we were in Milano to some picture editors to show them the, the, a CD, a basic CD. I mean, uh, not even a CD-ROM, eh? I'm mm -hmm. talking about a CD with the JPEGs. And they were looking at it, it was the devil. Ah, no, 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 no. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to use it. Just give me some, some prints. I said, no, 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 no. We don't give you prints. These, the pictures are in there. So when, when I understood also the power of internet, I said, this is fantastic. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible moment of opportunities now. It, it's an it's a ex extremely dangerous moment because it, the market is saturated um, and it's growing. But also the opportunities are there. So if you can see both sides and, and just focus on, uh, on, on what is more uh, new to, 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 to understand, new to, to reach, it's a very good opportunity. You can show an image you did one minute ago to the entire planet. It's unbelievable. Like now it's a very challenging period because we, 
we, we, we are witnessing the production uh, of images which is growing every day, but this creates opportunities. When, when I understood also the power of internet, I said, this is fantastic. I, I enjoyed fully, believe me. I'm extremely positive. So what are you looking for next in technology in that respect? Do you feel the unlimited in any way? Uh, there will be a lot, a lot of um, new tools. And uh, the, what I'm expecting, really, it's the tool I don't feel it in my hand, where, where I have a, com a perfect compenetration, a perfect understanding of the tool. You don't feel it in your hand. This is the best camera possible when you forget the camera, when you get uh, used so, so much with all the commands, and, and, but you forget it, and your hands just work alone. Surely they do that now for you anyway. You've become so familiar with your cameras. It's, it's getting better. It's getting much, much, much better. And also, you get better to understanding the camera. It's so intuitive now, isn't it, as well? It, you're right, it is getting there. But I, I, when you say this, I'm imagining it's going to get to a point where they have a chip in your brain <laughs> and uh, yes, you'll be able this, to this have the camera. This the point where you see, you see me on a Greek island saying goodbye to everybody and, and, uh, and, uh, and leaving. Uh, no, this I will be not interested. So you want, a, you want the uh, I want a separation between the tool and my mind. I want to get um, to understand the tool, to, to get used to the tool, not using my mind as a tool. I already use it for dreaming, for thinking. The tool must be external, then connected with your mind. Well, who knows? I guess it's a little way off still. It's been fascinating talking to you. No problem. My, my, my pleasure. Thanks again, Paolo, who is speaking to us from his home in Barcelona. You can find out more about Paolo's beautiful photography and his career at www.paolovazzoni.com. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Shutter Stories, you can rate and subscribe in the episode's listing. To find more stories and to find us on social, you can click on the links in the episode's description.